Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. What's going on? Not much. Just got some really exciting articles to talk about this week. Yes, welcome everybody to the Weekly Typographic. So exciting. We have some great finds. I have an awesome nerd alert. So anyone that's like kind of a literary and type nerd, which I include myself to be one of those people, this one's for you. But also anyone else that likes writing or language or English, this is also for you. <laughs> and also anybody that exists, I think this is going to be for you. It, I think I think it's going to be for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fun. I'm, I'm excited to talk about the links this week because they look darn cool to me. They're really cool. And we're going to start off with, I think, what is going to be a fan favorite of our newsletter readers and podcast listeners. And that is Spotify Designs Rebranding. And the article is called Making the Brand, colon, Redesigning Spotify Design. So I originally thought this was about redesigning Spotify and the design of Spotify. It is not that. Let me clarify, it is redesigning the sub-brand of Spotify, Spotify Design, which is confusing. <laughs> but let me explain, because I took notes. Spotify Design comprises of an external website where I think the Spotify Design team talks about their design decisions and talks about design news. It also comprises their Instagram and their Twitter. Spotify Design has their own Instagram. Spotify Design has their own Twitter. Also, Spotify Design leads the event field of Spotify. So look and feel of events is also led by Spotify design. It's kind of complicated, but I don't think like you don't need to know the nitty gritty to understand what is going on in this article. Exciting stuff. Um, so they decided to rebrand Spotify design because the designers felt like everyone else that had a hand on these assets were kind of just like running too far away from the core of their branding. And so Spotify Design was like, hey, we're going to hire and partner with an editorial art director. And that lovely designer's name is Albin Holmquist. And he has kind of like a different aesthetic than the typical Spotify of the dark and the muted colors and the green. And they wanted to kind of run in a totally different direction. And they thought he could like bring some a brush of fresh air, at least for the exploratory phase. So this article that we included is just about their design thinking and kind of their exploration phase. They're going to have another article that complements this that shows how to implement itself in the Spotify design website, in the Spotify design Instagram and Twitter. But it's Which there's another article on their site right now called Introducing Spotify's New Design Principles that was linked at the bottom of this article. Oh, perfect. It's kind of interesting to see a very on-trend but also innovative brand moving themselves into the future, moving from like the dark, typical Spotify interface to this really light and bright and playful area. And, you know, they talk about what it's like to design for designers because, honestly, their audience is mostly designers that are interested in the design of Spotify. <laughs> so kind of how they cater towards that and how they kind of bring some breath of fresh air to their brand they have some really cool swag ideas at the bottom that i'm very jealous of and would like to purchase <laughs> but i think it's a good case study on how to how spotify designers rethink their brand which is you know so renowned and kind of a leader in the design industry i wish i had a ton to say about this it's kind of just you just said design for designers right mm -hmm. and i just don't get it i just don't I want to. I think that's okay. That's fine. It's that's like okay. art school is what it feels like. 
It does feel like art school. I'm not sitting here saying it's bad. It's not bad. It's too designery for me. I don't get it. I think that's so fair. It is very designery. I enjoyed reading the process and looking at it, but I understand that pr- perspective. It is neat. I actually don't know how big the design team is, but it's giant just in the fact that it's Spotify, you know? It's <laughs> this massive player in the market of both music and technology where they're like focusing on being in art school again. Yeah. I think that's a good takeaway from it. But, yeah. like, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think some of us, like, it's great to see people get in touch with that side of things every once in a while, you know? Yeah. For sure. Kind of taking us away from the digital and music side of things, we're going to take you to a far, far industry that is not close to this one. That's the food industry and the packaged goods industry. And that's because Heinz has a new design. For their products. I, I can get way more on board with Okay, okay. I'll take that. I'll take it. Also, interesting fact, Heinz merged with Kraft in 2015, and the Kraft Heinz Company is the third largest food and beverage company in North America and the fifth largest in the world. So that is a huge undertaking to do a redesign for these people. That is interesting. I did not know it was that big and important, to be honest. Yeah, no, it's it's huge, which is super fascinating. Also, I think it's interesting, this design is not like an overhaul. This design's kind of like, it's definitely an improvement on what they had before, but it, you know, still keeps the Heinz typeface that we're all familiar with, and a lot of the colors is similar. It's just kind of like a bolder, brought into the 21st century type of version that's a more unified collection of packaged food goods. Yeah, I have to say, looking at this stuff, it's hard for me to put my finger on why I think it is so good. Mm-hmm. There's there's a mm-hmm. lot of hidden fundamentals that are working here, like breaking out of the box. They're using this shape for the Heinz logo, and some things are behind it, some things are in front of it. It's playing with figure ground, which, you know, mm-hmm. speaking of art school, was a thing that we learned in art school that a lot of us don't play with enough anymore in the real working world. For sure. I have some notes as to the more technical things that maybe make you feel like it's an improved look, but it's hard to put your finger on. Mm, Um, And I think a lot of people felt that. Brand New, which is the media that published this article, has some interesting opinions. So first of all, it was designed by Jones Knowles Ritchie, which is becoming a larger and larger player in the rebranding world. They did Popeyes and Foot Locker very recently. And so... What they actually did with this brand is pretty interesting is that, again, they didn't change it dramatically, but some things that are changed for the new brand is that the only curved type treatment is in the Heinz logo. So before they'd curve some of the titles of the food, whether that be SpaghettiOs or beans or macaroni, but now since the only curved type in the packaging is Heinz, it actually allows the title to stand out better. That's like one super nitty gritty detail that makes it feel more polished. And then the other one is that there's more realistic illustration styles for the beans or for the SpaghettiOs or for the alphabets, which is also more nuanced because they are realistic in the previous packaging, but they're like that much more realistic. That makes me think that skeuomorphism might be on the return. Watch Mm. out, guys. I don't know if anyone saw the Apple presentation, but they're bringing back skeuomorphism in some of the icon design there, too. Super fascinating. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think to include something like that this week. I know. Maybe next week. I think people are just starting to catch on. I read an article, I think, this morning that was like, is skeuomorphism back? So, well, we'll make sure you guys get the scoop. 
I've always been a fan of skeuomorphism. So like I I didn't I didn't real you're right like I didn't realize that that was one of the things that I liked about the new designs here. But like all of the mm-hmm. illustrations are hyper realistic, and it makes them juicy. Yeah, like CGI versions of tomatoes and baked beans. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> keep going. Right. And so my last note on why the design is more successful is because actually this Heinz logo, they're embracing the condensed flare serif typeface for the Heinz logo, as you can kind of imagine in your head, which is actually not in vogue and makes them stand out even more because they don't feel like they're trying to copy a trend. They're really sticking to their ground, have this impressive custom typeface. And I think that really allows them to stand out. And I thought it was interesting because their secondary typeface is called intro, which is a mix of script and sans serif and inline typeface. But that's not a custom typeface. It actually is from the Foundry font fabric. So, you know, I think everyone's trying to be like, why is everyone doing custom typefaces? Well, yeah, I think it makes sense for Heinz to do a custom typeface for the signature Heinz look. But I think um, it's a great way of showing how they can use a custom typeface in tandem with an existing family. Yeah, I'm actually familiar with this family. I've seen it a bunch. And if you're looking at this article on brand new and you go down to where you can see uh, the typefaces that they use, I'm most familiar with the inline caps version, which they aren't using a ton. And so Mm. it's nice to see a slightly different style being used primarily. And I think it's a fine typeface. It's obviously well made, but I personally don't come across a lot of things where I would use a typeface like this. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I'm not a huge fan of the style of this typeface, just personally, personal preference. But there's Mm -hmm. something about, like, it was just a good design decision because there's enough similarities with their custom Heinz typeface that Mm -hmm. it feels custom in context. Exactly, yeah. And that's that's really neat. Yeah, yeah, I think there's, like, that's just one of the parts that makes this rebranding so successful. And I got to say, they're using color really creatively. There's an interesting gif in this article of how they're going from the old packaging designs to new packaging designs. And they're, for the most part, not reinventing colors. They're using colors that they've always used, which is Mm -hmm. smart if you're used to buying one of these products. You'll still recognize those colors on the shelf. But they're making like bolder versions, removing gradients or changing Mm -hmm. gradients in some instances. And they're making higher contrast color combinations out of those colors. And I think that, too, is something that you don't see a ton in food packaging. Unless you're talking about, like, kids' cereal, which we're not. Yeah. It's just overall super smart. We're digging it this week. Go check it out. (laughs) Our next article is kind of, like, more on the type nerdy spectrum. And that is the Q Project which is proclaimed as an open-ended typographic play system. Micah, you found this link this week. What intrigued you about it? I think it was that it described it as a game-like type system. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what on earth does that mean? They were talking about how it was inspired by Lego and how they are taking these individual pieces and you get to play with the individual pieces to combine them in your own way to make custom outputs. Not entirely custom, mm-hmm. but you can combine them in tons of different ways to make unique and interesting outputs. That's certainly not new. I've seen plenty of other, even like ostrich sands. There were mm-hmm. 
you know, some racing stripes and some very thin ones that you could combine to make a new version of it. Yeah. But it was just, it was just real playful. And I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that shows how far you can push the boundaries as far as modular type goes and type systems that have several variables. I can name a few by saying there's a variable of gravity even where they show Mm. what happens if you let the modular system fall apart which isn't legible but like an interesting way to think about expressive type and then there's different ways you can do treatments so you can have it look like a stencil you can have the line of the letter forms be dotted you can there's probably yeah there's 36 types of serifs you can add to this so i i don't know if I have the patience to play with a typeface and type system like this, but I think it's great to show just how many possibilities and how playful you can get with typography. There's actually an article that is linked the end of this article mm-hmm. that they wrote titled The Importance of Play and their thought behind why they wanted to work on a system that was so playful in... A world of, as they put it, a world driven by utility and performance. Oh, interesting. That's kind of just a different, neat perspective that maybe isn't useful in all cases, but is fun. That's great. Yeah. Maybe these people are talking to the Spotify design team. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. (laughs) And it's interesting that my reaction to the Spotify design thing is like, oh, that's so playful, gross. And this one is like, Mm. oh, that's so playful, neat. (laughs) Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, whatever. I, yeah, I don't I, I don't think, think that I would use this either, to be honest. This is not the kind of thing I'm normally drawn to, but it's interesting. Exactly. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're showing all this stuff. Because I know yeah. some of you will be interested in one thing or many things. And it's great that we can provide a platform for all these cool projects happening in the world right now. Yeah, totes. Plus, Typotech is cool. They they know their stuff. Yeah, exactly. Smarty pants. Speaking of other cool things happening in the world right now. Our next link is a Kickstarter, but we're pretty intrigued by what it's trying to kickstart. And that is a book about the new culture of type specimens, which I think is part of this typographic cultural zeitgeist we've been living in for the past 10 years. One part of that is independent type boundaries. Designing type has become more accessible than ever in the moment we're living in right now, which allows for people to independently start their own type boundaries, which was like not really a thing of the past. It's this new outcome of type design being a little bit more accessible, requiring less software. And so this book that they're trying to kickstart, which it looks like it's been backed to completion, is 300 pages, and it takes material from the past 10 years of only independent type boundaries, and will gather all the specimens that they have curated. And so that can be a digital specimen, that can be reproductions of print specimens, or even Instagram specimens, and kind of talking about you know, what's what's actually happening now and where is typography going and how all these type specimens tell a story of our culture in the recent past. I've always been a fan of type specimens, too. I think they're so fun to look at. You and I were talking yeah. about how you want to start playing with making posters and mm-hmm. merch for the league, right? Yeah. Is that oh, coming soon, guys? Are supposed to reveal that? That's okay, right? No, no. It's a podcast exclusive announcement. <laughs> As if that was planned. I just spewed that out. But that's what I've always thought would make cool posters was mm-hmm. creative type specs. It is both useful because you can see what you can do with a font and it's inspirational because you can see what you can do with a font. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm disappointed we're not in this book as far as I know. Maybe the next edition. 
But also, the world of books around fonts and typography is not that big. Not that big at all, everybody. <laughs> so when there's a new and interesting book coming out, I'm kind of like, oh, that's cool. That's good. Let's get a different perspective on it. Let's see how somebody new is writing about it, it seems, too. Yeah, you know, definitely. Sit around and look at it and appreciate it. Check it out. And we're just going to continue the type nerdery over here <laughs> with our next article from Ion Design. AIGA's blog, one of my favorites. They're talking F37 Beckett, which is a new typeface. And it is super interesting. It's based off of old school British signage. It looks very quintessentially British. If you can think about the the British subway, underground subway system, it looks like this typeface could belong there. It's very similar. So they have an interview with the type designer and our type designer, Rick Banks, said that he was first inspired, this is interesting, by watching HBO's Chernobyl because in the title sequence, there's a really nice logo for Chernobyl, which I do remember. And it was very interesting to look at, which had the look of these old British signs. And so then he went and scoured type specimens of 20th century transportation signage and kind of landed at this gorgeous little typeface we have today. Which I'm such an Anglophile, and I do love the UK. I remember driving around Scotland and England a little bit last year and seeing a few of these old dilapidated signs and like this path this way with weird numbers that I don't know what the heck we're talking about because the road system's different than America. But also, you're probably just a fan of this because they prominently use millennial pink. Oh, yes. I mean, I'd say it's a little more millennial salmon, but... Okay, my bad, my bad. I still enjoy it, and it looks very satisfying in this little specimen they have. This is also a thing that I could see is very similar to, what is that font that a lot of startups hopped on a couple years ago? Circular, maybe? This seems like something that designers making Spotify would use for Spotify's logo. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that bold geometric sans serif. I think once you say that, a whole plethora of typefaces kind of just spill into my mind. And it's, yeah. I mean, it's been really popular lately. So that makes it very usable, too. It fits yeah. in with uh, design trends that a lot of people are already used to. But there's a little yeah. bit of flair, and that's kind of cool. Especially that uppercase G. Oh, my God. I love it. There's just the shortest, shortest little crossbar that just, like, <laughs> kind of notches into the bowl of the G. It's real fun. It's like the subtlety of British humor in a G. Yes. I love it. They have so much personality. Just so good. I should mention this was from Hugo, who lives in Britain. Oh, Hugo, I see what you're doing. You're trying to like infiltrate. <laughs> Just joking, joking, joking. No, this is, good. is a good find. I like this a lot. Yeah. And so our last find for this week, also from Hugo, a lovely little short tutorial, instructive video. It's called Three Hidden Typography Tips Most People Don't Even Think About. Asterisk, need to know, in all caps, asterisk. I'm glad it's you spelled title. that out for us. Thank you. Yeah, he obviously, I mean, Satori Graphics, which is the publisher, put some thought into that. So that doesn't really say that much about what's inside of it. I'll let you know that. It's kind of talking about how abstract personality factors um, should influence our type decisions. So it actually is a bunch of tips on how to decide which typeface to use, depending on what you're trying to express and what you're trying to communicate. It's a little, it's very elementary, but it's honestly like a pretty good intro for people that want to learn how designers choose typefaces he breaks down his design thinking his first example is this illustration of a yelling monkey 
I'm not sure what the company was, but he said his expressions that he was trying to show in the type was impact, loud, and modern. And so he talks about how he chose the typeface he did by saying, you know, if it's all caps, it has the impact. If it's italics, it might feel, you know, modern and more of like this urgent, loud sound. And that if it was tall and condensed, it also kind of felt out of the norm and had that impact. Very simple ideas, but really great if you want an intro to how professional designers choose their type. See, I like that a lot because that is one of the most common questions that we get for the Mm -hmm. league. People emailing us and messaging us saying, hey, do you have any tips or suggestions on how to pick and pair fonts? A lot of our answers in our own classes that we've done over the years have been based around figuring out what emotions you want to get across and then Mm -hmm. finding fonts that fit one or two of those emotions. For sure. And it's stuff I take for granted, but I did have to learn at some point. So it's it's definitely a nice little link that I'm excited to share with people. If I can give one critique, though, I'd have to say I really dislike when articles or videos or whatever have these tips, but the tip is something like, like the third tip in this video is consider directional movement, right? I hate when a tip is like, think about this. Because it doesn't tell you how to Mm -hmm. think about it, which they do kind of illustrate how to think about it in the depths of the video. But I just hate Mm -hmm. when the first thing is like, oh, you didn't think to think, which I want something more concrete than that. That's fair. I think that's a fair critique. All right, Micah. Uh Uh-oh, we're getting serious. We need to get like a sound effect for a nerd alert, like boom, 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 boom. It's nerd alert. (laughs) You gotta have something like that. Oh, we're using that. We're using that every week. I'm just gonna throw that in. Perfect. Perfect. It's nerd alert. Exactly. Exactly. Gotta like get. We have to get in the mindset for all of my research to be, you know, just given out to all these people. And this week is especially exciting. We are talking about style guides and typography, and how style guides actually influence the typography that we see. Every day. Um, now, when this you say whole... style guides, you're talking about literary style guides, right? Yes. I'm talking about literary style guides. And those are defined as standards for the writing, formatting, and design of documents. So there is an element of design inherent to the definition of style guide, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm talking about literary ones. We're not talking about logo or branding style guides, which, you know, we can talk about one day, but that's not today. So <laughs> I I came across this topic because I was arguing with my boyfriend, Khalil, and I was saying that M dashes never have spaces on either side of them. You're not supposed to, and that's a rule, and I know that is fact, and no one can debate me, because I know my M dashes more than anyone else. And he was like, no, I just, I don't feel that way. I feel like I mostly see M dashes with spaces on either side. And I was like, oh, you're definitely mistaking that for something then, because that's incorrect, and I'm right, and you're wrong. And then I went on the computer, and I looked up a New York Times article to prove that I was right, But the New York Times article had spaces on either side of the M dash. And so I was so mad I was wrong. I can't believe I was like. That was very brave of you to attempt even being wrong. That was, you know, it could have gone either way and you were risking it. I know. You put yourself out there. I know. I, I, it was really a moment for me that I was like, cool. So I'm going to be talking about this on Nerd Alert and why the heck. 
New York Times put spaces on either side of their M dash when I was told my entire typographic career existence, you don't. So we're going to talk about it today. And that all goes down. I know. It all comes down to style guides. So first, I'm going to kind of give you a little overview of the two most popular style guides that you're probably seeing in your everyday life, and then kind of how they have influenced typography and why they are having these decisions that, you know, put spaces on the outside of M dashes, because that is a long freaking space in a line of text to have space M dash space. But it's I gotta fine. Tell you, we're going to chat about it. Spaces, so. I know. I think it's a very polarizing topic. I know. Okay. So the two main style guides that are used in writing is AP Style, which is Associated Press Style Book, which I never knew was from the Associated Press. Who knew? Mm. Which can give you hints as to what their style guide is going to look like. And then the other style guide is the Chicago Manual of Style. And that's, that's the other one. And then there's also the M. LA style guide, but that's only used by academics. Yeah, because that's the academic style guide, Mm, which in the real world, unless you're like a professor or other professions that are academic, you're not going to be encountering MLA as often. So we're not going to talk about it, but figured we should let everyone know because yes, I remember in high school, we had to learn MLA. Okay. So there's the AP style guide, Associated Press style book, and that is used for newspapers and other media, and it is the journalism standard for writing. Keyword journalism. Hmm. So it's known for keeping writing style that is easy, concise, and free of bias. It's been adapted by a lot of, you know, marketing writers, and it's good for content creation. We're going to talk about why in a sec. Then there's the Chicago Manual of Style. Loved by writers, editors, publishers, and publishing houses. It's the standard for anything coming out of a publishing house, whether that be nonfiction or fiction. Those are our two houses, Chicago versus AP. And also, while I was doing research, I found this great website called APVersusChicago.com that talked about a bunch of differences between the two. Because there's kind of a battle between the journalism people and the writers and literary agents. Wait, AP vs. Chicago or AP versus Chicago? APVSChicago.com. I follow them on Twitter now. I also follow AP Style and Chicago Manual of Style on Twitter because they both have Twitter accounts that are super relevant and are talking about like the most relevant of topics. And I just, this blew my mind. I couldn't believe that existed. Okay, so back back to the topic. So back to this M-dash situation. Why did the New York Times put spaces on the sides of their M-dash? AP does tell their writers to put spaces on the beginning and end of their M-dash. Chicago says not to put spaces at the beginning and end of your M-dash. And I'm going to say why. Okay, so AP style is meant for typesetting that is less controlled. Because they're being used in... Previously, what were tight newspaper columns, but now on responsive websites, there's less control in typesetting. And because there's less control in typesetting, that also causes a more simple style guide. And the rules are actually less complex than Chicago. And so you can imagine people that are designing books, book designers, they have a lot more control over typesetting. They can, you know, futz with the kerning, the tracking, soft returns. And they can allow, and they have just a little bit more polished look because it, they're not running against tight deadlines. You know, it's traveling between less people. So in their case, they do not put spaces on either side of the M dash. 
And so if you can imagine if there's a space on either side of the M dash, it can allow the word after the M dash to flow into the next line. But if there's no space, the you know typesetting program registers, let's say it was advice, M dash, accept. That's a long chunk of text. And if there wasn't space in between that, the typesetting software is going to put that whole word combination on the next line, leaving a kind of unattractive typesetting look. Right. Yeah. You kind of have to do some imagination. But Wait, so let that me clarify to make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying AP, because it's designed for newspapers, journalism, places where there's less control, that includes spaces so that the words can break. And the Chicago one, because it's in an environment where there's more control over how the final typesetting looks, mm-hmm. there is no spaces because you can kern stuff manually to make sure that it fits right. Yes, exactly. A designer can add a soft return in between the dash and the final word if they want a nicer looking typeset line. Wow, okay. So actually, some of the rules of the style guide are influenced by typography, which is super interesting. So, you know, a journalism writer might automatically put spaces on their M dashes just because that's what the style guide says, but the style guide is doing that because they want it to be easier for typesetting. That's so interesting. Makes me wonder, before you brought this up, I never even considered Mm -hmm. that there was a version without spaces around an M dash. And that really makes me wonder where the heck I even learned that. And I mean, it makes sense in terms of most of the writing that I do is, you know, for blogs, for marketing material, stuff Mm -hmm. that's on the internet, like you're saying, in like responsive type. And maybe it was just Mm -hmm. that I was learning from all these places that were, you know, five versions down of having looked at the AP style guide for that reason. And most of the reasons why I think that you never put spaces on your M dashes, because I was learning a lot of my styling from the elements of typographic style, which is like a published book, Dreyer's English, which is like a kind of new age style guide that I liked reading about, also says there's no spaces. So it's more of these literary published books that were telling me my rules. And you literally worked at a literary publishing house before this. I worked at penguin random house which is fun fact when we had m dashes they'd always ask for a hairline space in between the first word and the m dash and the m dash and the last word which is a very specific indesign space that you can add so yeah exactly so when i was typesetting a 200 page novel i was like yeah you don't put spaces on your m dash i know that and so i'd put hairline spaces for a little bit more legibility but i knew there wasn't word spaces And so there's the idea that the typesetting is less controlled, but AP style is also simpler because of the tight deadlines. There's less time to be finicky about specific rules that make it more complex. So therefore, simple is better. And because of compatibility. So if you're a journalist, you're probably emailing your editor or it's traveling through a few different editors via email, via different documents. And, you know, a good example of this is that AP style does not italicize book names. It puts it in quotes. So you can imagine if you copy and paste an email or a Word doc, it's possible that italics could get lost in tra- in translation and traveling oh. from editor to editor. So they put a book name in quotes because it's simpler punctuation. That's genius. It's so fascinating. And so this applies. And so there's several rules that have been dictated because of this. And, you know, in our cover art, we talk about an ellipsis. So in AP style, they do space dot 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 space for their ellipsis 
But in Chicago Manual of Style, they do space, dot, space, dot, space, dot, space. What the heck? So they put spaces in between their dots. Both personally look weird, and that's why typographers actually design their own ellipsis into their typeface, which is like a secret type design thing. If you'd like to access it, by the way, it's option semicolon on Macs and option and alt 0133 on PC. So they talk about how that's confusing for like the general public because they probably have seen it also in two different versions. And so it's hard to figure out what is right. But that's also because if something's typeset and it's not in the in, in anyone's control on a newspaper article, for example, it can go dot space dot and then the third dot can be moved to the extra line because no one's carefully typesetting the way that people carefully typeset published books who would want that though that sounds awful exactly so that's why that's why ap style does not allow any dot any spaces between the three dots that's fascinating so interesting and so i have a few more things that i'd like to go over um about the differences for all you nerds that are interested and that is that chicago manual style uses an oxford comma ap style does not use an oxford comma what i've been doing that wrong if I've been AP um, on all of the other things, I always I love an Oxford comma. I know. Wait, can you explain real quick so what polarizing. an Oxford comma is and say in case somebody doesn't know? Yes. If you have a list of things like apples, bananas, oranges, and or apples, bananas, and oranges, an Oxford comma is the comma that goes right before and oranges. Without an Oxford comma, it's just apples, bananas, and oranges one comma and that's going to be between apples and bananas okay Whew, this is hard to say on a podcast respect yeah and uh, yeah it's it's a little tough so there's that serial comma another interesting one that makes sense is that chicago manual style spells out numbers up to 100 but ap style only spells up numbers up to 10 and as you can imagine spelling out like 57 is a very lengthy compared to just putting numbers as five seven. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Fun to... I mean, the last tip I had was that Chicago manual style italicizes book covers, book names, which we just just talked about, and AP style puts them in quotes. So it's so interesting to see how knowing your style guys can help you know how to typeset properly. That's wild. I wonder... I have to ask. I just have to ask. Mm -hmm. In your research, did Mm -hmm. the topic of double spaces after periods come up? No, but I know that off the top of my head, that is an antiquated part of the system because if you double space after a period, that was actually used for typewriting to make it more clear to delineate between sentence to sentence because everything was the same width on a typewriter. Mm. So if you see a double space, it's like a, it's an eye indicator that, okay, this is a new sentence. But now because we have typefaces that are not mono width that we're reading all the time you should not be putting an extra space between your period because it's still it's now much easier to delineate sentence to sentence so that's not even a style guide thing that was a a necessity of the medium yeah because i actually i learned to put two spaces after my periods when i was in school and then in in college they were like no never do that i hope you guys know that by now and i was like isn't that funny how like i sometimes think about how some of my high school teachers were younger than i am now and not everything was covered in high school necessarily Mm -hmm. so stuff like that somebody learned that somewhere and it was wrong but Mm -hmm. nobody ever corrected them so they never thought about it and they thought they Mm -hmm. were just you know passing on useful knowledge for these young kids who needed to type up papers now and exactly. Isn't that, isn't that, I just think that's so funny. 
It's so fascinating, like how many rules get passed down from people to people. I mean, you could have a teacher that believed in the Oxford comma because she believed in the Chicago manual style and another teacher that was like, don't put an Oxford comma. We don't need that because they studied journalism. And it's not until you look up the actual style guides that you'll understand why that is. I'm even a good example where I had never researched this and didn't understand the difference or the purpose behind why they were different. I just had all these patterns that I'm used to doing, but had no reasoning behind why I was doing them. Exactly. And as a typesetter, whenever I got copy from copy editors, and this was not in publishing that had space M dash space, I'd always correct it because I'd be like, that's incorrect. But I feel like now I have learned, I can be more diplomatic about it. I will still prefer an M dash with no spaces (laughs) around it, but I can justify dashes with spaces around it. So fascinating. I was a little unsure what the heck you wanted to talk about with this one this week. And suddenly <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm on board. I like it. It's good to know the reasoning behind why you are doing things that you didn't even know. Exactly. Exactly. That makes for a richer typographic education. Look at you. Another great nerd alert. Thanks, friend. Thank you. <laughs> and an awesome set of links. So I hope everybody enjoyed this fun stuff this week. Uh, special shout out that I mean to do every week and sometimes forget as a thank you to our awesome League members. We've got the League membership, which has been helping to support making this podcast where, you know, you get extra free goodies every week of cool fonts mm-hmm. we found and job postings that are that you might find useful especially in these difficult times so Mm -hmm. thank you to all the awesome members who have been supporting us and if you're interested in that you know go join the membership too heck yes thank you everyone and see you next week